Welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. I hope you're well. I had a lot of fun recording this podcast today. I'm talking with Neo Morton, and Neo is a fascinating guy. He's a, an entrepreneur, a teacher, an author, somebody really passionate about the evolution of consciousness on the planet. And I really like that combination of things. He's not just a spiritual seeker sitting in a monastery. No, he's he's a highly successful entrepreneur out there creating things in the world. So today what we're going to talk about is a few things. We're going to talk about his app, MicroShift, that he's created. I've been playing around with that and why he created it. We'll talk about what it is, but it's a, it's an app where you can change your state within a very short space of time. So we'll talk about why did he create that? How does it work? How does something like this begin to complement the work we do as a coach? And we'll talk about the future of coaching and tech. What is the vision that Neo has of how technology can play a role in the evolution of consciousness and how that might impact the work that we do as coaches. I think he's got some quite interesting and clear ideas about that. Some that I kind of question with him, we explore that. So I want to have more conversations with people like this. You know, AI and tech is, of course, going to disrupt the field of coaching. It's already starting to do that, but it's really going to start doing that soon. I want to bring more people together who are doing innovative work, who have a vision for the way tech and AI can play a role in coaching, plus are aware of some of the deep ethical, moral implications of that. So if you're one of those people, reach out to me and we'll get you on the podcast too. Just to say a few more words about Neo, he was a coaching client of mine at one time, a real joy to work with. And he is the author of Being Real for a Change. He is a deep spiritual practitioner. He founded in 2012 the Urban Om Center for Yoga and Meditation and also runs training programs that thousands of people have attended and also has worked himself one-on-one with, with thousands of people too. So... And basically gets up some cool things that you'll hear about in our podcast today. If you're inspired by this podcast and you feel like sharing it, I'd really appreciate that. You can go to coachesrising.com on Neo's individual podcast page. You'll see share buttons there. And if you want to join our community and just check out what Coaches Rising is up to, we've got a community of over 65,000 coaches worldwide who care about deep transformational work. You can head to coachesrising.com and put your name in the sign-up box there. All right, so enough of me. Let's dive in. Here's the podcast with Neo Morton. Yeah, so Neo, it's really cool to be with you. Uh, we've gotten to know each other a bit over the last few years, and you're up to some really interesting things. And so, you know, we're going to try and pack a lot into a shorter space of time today, uh, so, uh, you know, let's just dive straight in. And, um, you know, actually, I think it's just a good place to start. Maybe you could just tell the audience a little bit, you know, in a, in a nutshell, who you are and what you're about, what you're up to in the world. Thank you, Joelle. I, I think it's it's partially uh, thanks to you or down to you that I'm sitting here today as um, an entrepreneur artist, I, I would call myself. Um I think I've got one foot in both uh, camps. There's an artist in me that uh, loves to create things. And my latest creation was a book I wrote a few years ago called Being Real for a Change. And the entrepreneur is the part of me that likes to start things. And um, so I've started a few centers in the last 12 years. And prior to that, I uh, 
uh, found my way into tech out of law school and um, ended up in Silicon Valley just before 9-11 struck, which is what catapulted me into a life of what I would call consciousness and self-seeking. That's a little bit about me. So I run businesses, I work with people, and I'm a budding, budding artist coming out slowly. And that's why I want to talk to you, actually. So, because I, I feel like, you know, there, there's a lot unfolding in the world right now, of course, isn't there? And, you know, there's an explosion of interest in consciousness work and you're you're in that field. And at the same time, there's, um, you know, all these crises we're facing, tech, you know, AI, uh, tech and AI has uh, huge implications in terms of uh, the good that it can have in the world and also the potential harm as well so so i i that's i think there's you're plugged into a lot of different areas and i think you'll have some interesting things to share and maybe a good first place is just to talk about micro shift for a moment uh that's an app you've created and i've i've really enjoyed playing around with that and so just can you tell us what that is and what it does and you know how you see it basically yeah, and and again, thanks because of you, Joel. You encouraged uh, your your clients um, in some cases to be good storytellers. So I'll take a winding path to get to the what and the why. Um, working with clients at the moment, um, so I work daily with uh, VC backed tech companies, and and as we know, the last six months, uh, the access to capital for ventures, especially tech ventures, changed quite considerably as did the, the funnel of funds going into the VCs themselves. So existing VPs are deploying funds, but getting new funds started is, is not easy. Equally, new companies getting access to funds is also not that easy. So what we're seeing is, is that um, the mindset of entrepreneurs um, at, at, let's call it early stage, first, first up to seven years, is going from a growth mindset to one of more toward economic efficiency or a path to profitability. And I see in the personal growth area as well that we've gone from broad brush or big, big explosions in the last certainly 10 years where we do big processes using big plant medicine to have big breakthroughs. People are actually, during corona, they were grounded. They didn't travel so much. And habits began to change. People were going from an you know, explosion mindset to what I would call cumulative or iterative approach to their personal growth. And this was really good for video content. People, rather than going to the gym or to a yoga studio or to a retreat, trawled the internet and got access to um, different modalities, different teachers, and what we saw in the behavior was that rather than go to a you know, yoga class or a retreat for one week or one hour, people were taking their personal growth in micro doses. So videos that were five minutes, um, videos that were 10 minutes. And what people did was they took those micro doses more regularly. And um, what I saw in talking to several people over the last few years was that one doesn't replace the other. It doesn't mean that people don't go on retreats because one of the first things that I saw people do was get on a plane back to Bali and being a, a fellow a visitor to India often, that, that's what's on my agenda too. But people have added, they've added a daily practice that was just not really there before. People accumulated lots of stress. 
they were nearing a, let's call it a burnout, and then they would recover. There was almost this boom bust approach. Now what people are doing is keeping the baseline healthy and positive and adding what I would call bigger experiences. And this was how the concept of micro shift was born. I was one of those um, retreat junkies um, since leaving Silicon Valley um, in 2001, um, literally in, in San Francisco, about to board a plane that day uh, to New York. Um, the airport at SFO was closed. I couldn't board the plane because, you know, planes had flown into the Twin Towers in New York City and I was commuting back and forth regularly at that time. So grounded in San Francisco, um, I started this big journey that was meant to be one year but lasted 20 years and took me all around the world in all sorts of jungles and plant medicines and gurus, always looking for that big breakthrough. And the thing is, when I found one big breakthrough, it was almost like a Russian doll. There'd be another smaller breakthrough, then another set of Russian dolls. And I ended up um, in my mid-40s after becoming a, a young father and having a few businesses that hit rocky patches, I was soul seeking again. And the, you know, what got me to that place, I just thought it's not going to get me to a place going forwards. So I started to have more regular uh, meetings with coaches. I started to work more regularly on my daily practices. And there's something that happened to me, the baseline, I call it, the baseline of mental health or psycho-spiritual health just got slowly, incrementally better over time, the 1% rule. So during Corona, um, obviously, we were all grounded and um, decided to try a different approach. And the question was, what if or, or how can we incrementally improve our mental, social, emotional, psycho-spiritual well-being in small changes over time? And that's where the micro shift method was born. So early on, as everybody does, we, we, we do an MVP, we prototype it, and we introduce the method to a few hundred people. In I, I own a meditation center in the city center of Stockholm. And people said, oh, this is really good. We really like the format. And the format at that point was audio recordings with a very bad animated video with some subtext written over it. And people had to log in with a password that didn't work through a website. Uh, but what we found was that people were prepared to spend the time and prepared to pay a little bit of money. And over the last couple of years, we've tested different elements of the method. And we found that there are two parts to the method and one part we've now built into an app. And it's really simple. If I zoom out, what coaches do really well, and I've seen this as a common denominator in our center in the city. Uh, my family also has a residential therapy center where about 10,000 people now have passed through combined both centers. And we have an amazing faculty of therapists. If there's one common denominator I see that therapists or coaches work with, it's this. First, the therapist by welcoming you into a digital or a physical room, uses their presence to create regulation in your nervous system. Now we know this from thousands of years because that's what parents do for children. It's called, as we know in therapy, affect regulation. This is what a coach or therapist does to allow the participant or client to get a little bit comfortable. Polyvagal theory, um, and, and vagus nerve uh, stimulation can achieve that in a few moments. It doesn't have to take several minutes. And it's things like humming or um, 
little bit of shaking, regulating the breathing. So we tested this. Again, the principle was, can we achieve regulation in a micro shift? And it took us about 20 seconds to achieve it. The second part uh, of the method is called connect. So first regulate, second connect. And connect, I, I dug into my toolkit and, and I remember training 20 plus years ago with the HeartMath Institute, uh, Doc Childer, HeartMath Institute. And um, I was fascinated with the brevity and the simplicity of their method, which at that time we were hooking up a, a little sensor to the index finger and you would have that and it would be measuring your heart rate variability and it would have a simple method to increase your heart rate variability which gets you to be more connected and the method was this breathe regularly breathe regularly and focus on your heart and whilst focusing on your heart recall a positive emotion something that makes you feel good and breathe that into your heart i know i felt good but when I looked at the computer screen using this biofeedback with HeartMath's technology, I realized, my God, this actually works. There's a biofeedback that shows that my heart rate variability, my connection store increased. I used this for about 15 years in one-on-one -on -one sessions in um, London, New York, and Stockholm. And, and I'm happy they changed the tech because in sessions, when, when the sensor was connected to the index finger and people start talking with their hands, the reading was interfered with. And eventually they got a little ear sensor. And now, of course, you can touch your Apple Watch or you know use the heat sensor on the back of your phone. But when they put it on the earlobe, it allowed me to work with people in sessions and test. And here's what I found. And this is really fascinating. If you're stressed and look at a situation in a stressed state. The access you have to your higher intelligence is vastly inhibited, A. The flip side of that is if you regulate and connect your nervous system and your emotions and get into what HeartMath called a coherent state, your faculties, your ability to see clearly in different perspectives is enhanced. The second thing I found, which was really fascinating, and again, I'm jumping around here, I hope you can stay with me in the audience, um, is if you think of post-calorific burn after a workout, right? So you go for a run and you burn 100 calories and you run for, say, 20 minutes. When you stop running, the calories are still burning at a rate higher than if you were just sitting still, although you might be sitting still the post-workout calorific burn. I found the same applied to heart rate variability. When you're in a state of coherence or connection and you get into that state and you invest, say, 60 seconds to get there, that state continues like post-workout calorific burn. And what that meant was in sessions that getting someone into a state of connection and then tackling a slightly more difficult issue from a place of resource People were unshaken. People were able to look at this clearly and with perspective and with awareness and sense the emotions, but also move through things in a measured way. So this is the second part of the method. Regulate nervous system. Second, connect. The third part was this. When you're in a connected state, if you're asked a reflective question, for example, what are you most proud of today? What are you least proud of today? And what's your key learning? What we found was, is what we call the cross. 
there's connection through heart rate variability and deepest, deepest connection to your sincerity and your empathy. But there's also broadness. Your mind can broaden and reflect. It can contemplate these questions in a different way than if your state was one of stressed or reductionist or contractionist. So the method was simple. Regulate, connect and reflect. So we built that into an app and added some journaling features, added some social features, and it worked. Nice. Because firstly, I'm totally with you. I think this is a major skill in our time and it probably always has been, but you know, with the pace of change and the pace of kind of stimuli in the world these days, that ability to regulate oneself, you know, on a, a, a on a daily basis, on an hourly basis or whatever is just so key. Um, so I, I love that you're doing this. And I really like that about the app. You know, I felt like, oh, this really works, you know, and it's really nicely put together. And, uh, you know, there the, the really are like a nice micro moment that you can kind of easily find for yourself. And, um, you know, and just to, just to add, like I'm, what I really like about this, too, is that, you know, one of the things I've had with coaching clients is, yeah, you meet you know, maybe once a week or maybe once every two weeks or maybe even less, you know? And so, um, the, and the key is like, yeah, those are really powerful sessions that regulation is taking place that you describe, but then, you know, there, there's not traction necessarily, or it can be difficult. Let's say that like with some clients, it really, they really take on a practice. It's really meaningful for them. And of course that is, I think one of the key moves a coach can make is like how can you make a tune a practice to be so meaningful but but yeah like what i'm trying to say is like there's just such a momentum and and gravity to like becoming dysregulated and stressed that i think something like micro shift is for me like really exciting in terms of the the beneficial side of how tech can plug into coaching maybe even disrupt it you know so so yeah just really um really liking that. And how do you see, you know, something like micro shift, like complementing something like coaching? Well, um, I love what you're saying uh, and the dysregulation and the, the image I get, it, it's like if, uh, if we're sailing in a sailing boat, and this is a classic kind of metaphor, but if a sailing boat is 1% off for one minute, it's okay. But if that sailing boat is 1% off for, say, two weeks, you know, the cadence often you'll, you'll have a coaching session or maybe once a month because coaching sessions are typically delivered in, let's say, 30 or 60-minute chunks. And they are uh, there's a price tag that really honors the expertise of the coach. But on the other side, it's not really affordable by, let's call it, the vast population. So if you're sailing one degree off for 21 days or 14 days or 30 days, you can really be far off. And what happens is what I saw was that people were coming to coaching for like a lifesaver and a recovery. And you make that bigger, people were going to retreats for recovery, for things like burnout, simply because they'd been veering off track for way too long. So I like this idea of micro shifting into a place of regulation. Um, the other, the other way to look at it, again, is just, just zoom out. I'm turning 50 next year, and, um, you know, 
my wife jokes that uh, she read a book and, and there was this person uh, turning 50 and, and, and the characters in the book only saw their partner when they were in their cycling shorts early in the morning, getting on their bike, uh, training for triathlon. And there's so many people who I know now who all of a sudden, you know, in their mid, mid 40s are becoming training freaks. That became me. Um, so I became really enthusiastic about, uh, again, taking care of the body uh, from a perspective of longevity and be, being fit and healthy for my family, my clients, and just generally being, you know, trying to be the best version of ourselves. So I set some ridiculous goals. Um, and in 2023, um, multi-stage ultra, those three words, multi-stage ultra, I wish they'd never <laughs> come into my life, but you can start to imagine so what in is November that? this uh, right? What is it? What is it? Multi-stage ultra. So ultra is of course more, right? Ultra is just more. It's ultra. And then multi-stage is doing things over several days, which for me means cumulative, iterative, micro. So in a year from now, I've decided to run 170 kilometers uh, altitude in the Himalaya uh, from station to station with a group of about 15 to 20 other people and a film crew as well. And, and in June, I'm going to do a multi-stage ultra swim as well. I only started swimming five months ago from nothing, you know, from crawl. And now I'm, now I'm making some progress. So I'm going to swim in the Croatian archipelago. Um, and um, that will be over four days, 42 kilometers. But the point of all this is that in order to do that, I've had to get a coach, a running coach, a swimming coach, a nutrition coach. And what, what's changed in the training industry, there's, there's an app called Training Peaks, which is a really wonderful portal for coaches. So my coach was able to create my training plan. I'm able to access it and download it on my phone. My coach gets notified when I do a micro training. And my coach can also analyze the key data points of what's happening in my body and energy based on um, uh, threshold levels of running and swimming, sleep, calorie intake, et cetera. So my coach has a different management, quote unquote, of my progression toward goals that they have visibility on a daily basis. And we co-create that together. It's highly personalized. So back to coaching, right? I haven't seen in the marketplace, but I guess there might be something like that where a coach can almost curate, guide a client's development over time, but not at such a high price that you'd have to see somewhere every day. But at a fraction of that, like a micro pricing model where you get um, regulation, reflective insights, daily connections over time that's managed in a portal where there's data points as well. And that's the second part of the methodology, which we'll come to whenever you're ready. So I see that more people are going to have access to coaching. It's going to become much more accessible and co-creative. And there is going to be data that will highly personalize someone's journey. Yeah. Yeah, and I want to come to that data thing, but I'm just curious for you, you know, about the, the future of coaching. We want to do more podcasts on this, uh, you know, like just for example, AI, you know, like a few years ago, I was like, yeah, AI is going to replace like quite a bit of coaching and, you know, and then more recently, I feel like bloody hell, like some of this AI is, you know, it's going to replace quite a lot of coaching. So do you have a sense of, you know what what you where where you think this is all going you know and we could we could keep it to coaching but we could even expand it outside you know and just in terms of 
this mass of people on the planet that care about consciousness development. Yeah, and if we come back to you know the trends I see right now in the VC back tech company, uh, a lot uh, are going from let's call growth to half the profit or economic efficiency. You know, if you're too focused on growth without the right measures and checkpoints, you run the risk of you know burning out. You know, a pregnancy at birth takes nine months for one person. You can't simply get nine people in a room and say, let's shorten the length of the pregnancy to one month. It doesn't work like that. And equally, I cannot train for 170 kilometers running at the Nepalese Himalayan mountains at maximum altitude of 5,000 meters with an average elevation and drop of 2,000 meters per day by doing all my training tomorrow. It doesn't work. It has to be broken down into manageable bite-sized chunks. And the same comes with therapy and, and yoga and coaching. Because years ago, if you look at the evolution of the industries, we went to India and we met these magnificent masters. You know, they basically gave us a Shakti Pat dose all in once. And it took us years to integrate that. We gave up our jobs, we took off our clothes, we ran around barefoot. And then we went begging to borrow and steal to pay for food. And we said all in the context of, you know, having nothing to experience everything. And then the teachers came from the East to the West, right? And of course, you know, Yogi Bhajan, uh, other great masters came to the West and they had to have a model to sustain themselves. It was either a donation model or it was a let's commercialize this. And what you saw then were centers for yoga pop up in the last 20 to 30 years, right? And the unit, the economic unit at that point was a clocks, a clocks that was 60 minutes or 90 minutes based on old methods. And we kind of fitted into that class and created all sorts of yoga teacher trainings that were, you know, giving people the opportunity to teach 60 minute classes and charge an amount of money, made it worthwhile them getting out of bed and traveling to the studio. The same thing applies with therapists and coaches. We are coming from a model, which is, I would call not user centric. We say it is, but actually the business model is therapy-centric. And, and I don't say it as a criticism. I just say that as an observation. Say what, say what you mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the coaching in and of itself is user-centric, but the business model is therapy-centric. The therapist has to earn an amount of money per hour because the therapist can only work a certain amount of hours per week and has to make a living because of inflation, right? So the business model is therapy-centric, but the actual delivery is user-centric. So there is a discrepancy there. What's happened with telecoaching is that we've taken the unit size down from an hour to say 20 minutes or 10 minutes. And there's some great examples of telecoaching. That means that Neo or Jal, we don't need to leave our house anymore thanks to uh, Corona, but it also means that we can break these unit economics down into bite-sized chunks to see more people and it to be more affordable for people. But it's still not quite there because the degree of personalization, the degree of distribution and decentralization is not there. Then what we've seen is what we call matching. You know, does Neo, do Neo and Joel match as client coach? And how much patience does a, a coachee have to try out different coaches? And do they really have the courage to say, hey, Joe Blogs or jo Joanna Blogs, this doesn't work for me? Do they typically just bite the bullet and pay? 
and then slide out over two or three sessions? Or do they say coaching didn't work for me? I won't do it again. So you've got this huge market of people who are not quite matched. And I think AI is doing some interesting things there, right? I like that. But the future of coaching, I think, which is the future of health, which is the future of yoga, which is the future of, of men and womankind, is hyper-personalization and a business model and a client delivery model that is user-centric, where the content is user-generated. So the second half of the Beyond, uh, sorry, MicroShift method, which we're currently working on is this. The first part, it, it, it frankly, can be uh, replaced with um, video and audio content, as you've seen in the MicroShift app. That also could be put into a nice coach portal so that the coach and client can manage their relationship and plot changes over time. But the real magic source is fascinating. Interviewing about 100 coaches and being on the receiving end of hundreds of sessions and delivering thousands of sessions myself, the first part is, is what I call hygiene. Regulate the client, get the client connected to the heart, set an intention and ask some reflective questions. This is, this is quite easy to digitize and it's been done a few times. The second part, the magic source is what the coach is trained to do and becomes attuned toward is looking at the micro expressions the tonality, the tonation of the voice, where the client, as I'm doing now, places emphasis in what they're saying, hand gestures, body gestures. If you think of the coach, it's basically like a machine. The machine of the coach over giving thousands of sessions is learning the common tendencies, the micro expressions of the client. And here's the wacky thing. All of these are data points. The research that's been done on microexpressions, extensive, used largely by FBI, CIA, etc., for interrogation. Tried, tested in existence, being digitized in some pods too. Voice sentiment analysis, the analysis of the tonality of your voice and how that indicates your state of being, your emotions. Natural language processing, the words that you are basically writing as you're speaking, your breathing and the rhythm of your heart rate variability. If you look at all these data points and wrap it together in an algorithm, you've got two ratings, which I think are really important, which we could just say, this is the name of my book, Being Real. If there's one thing that in giving coaching sessions that is transformative, it's the ability for people, clients to go through a shift to be more real. But unfortunately, that happens either once or twice a month with a, with a, with a coach with a price tag, or it happens once, twice in a lifetime with a major retreat meeting a guru. And yet there's biofeedback with all of these data points that if we could entrain ourselves to be more real, and that breaks down into two things, really. And this is, this is um, very topical in businesses as well. They're looking for two. We call it transparency as a value. But what we're really looking for is sincerity. Are you speaking the truth? Are your intentions pure? And you can simply calibrate that. Does this person believe what they're saying? Is it coming from an authentic place? Are they sincere? 
This word comes from the Latin root, sin it without closing. Is this person open? The second, is this person have an ability to have emotional intelligence, to have empathy? And that's also measurable. The problem is this, that over the years and through the age of um, 20-something, when our prefrontal cortex and other parts of our brain haven't yet developed, we've spent the first seven years being effect regulated by our parents and our egos developed based on the needs we want that we can't fulfill ourselves. We are dependent on others to have our needs fulfilled, so we start to manipulate the world around us. Then we go from seven to 14 around the peripubescence. The hormones get crazy. We get very confused over real and right. So you say to a kid age nine, generally, sorry to be broad brush here, did you eat all the cookies in the jar? And myself, I was guilty. No, 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 I didn't. With crumbs, you know, halfway down my face. <laughs> did you Did you do this at school? No, no. Because at that point in our lives, we haven't done the equation. I call it real over right. We've put at that point right over real. Because we still don't look at or understand the return on the social investment for being honest with people around us and being authentic, which is what when we hit post 28 or 40, we're lying for. Be more you. You do you, I do me. But at that critical age of, say, 7 to 21, then you add hormones and alcohol. By the time we're 24, 5, we're completely confused. And then the brain kicks in with this little message going, you know what, if you're more real, your life's going to be better. We're like, nah, nah, I don't know how. Because we spent most of our lives running down these neural pathways that says I'll just be real over right or I'll be real 80%, but I'll keep that 20% truth. And people are constantly looking at us and interacting with us going like, yeah, something doesn't add up. I don't really buy this. And then we applaud the artists who come out on stage or in a movie who give their hearts out for the most incredible performance or um, singers, actors, just to give that example. And we honor them because the essence of who they are is just pouring out. And if there's one thing that we could codify all that for me, it would be being real for a change in the world. And wrapping all this together, that doesn't happen, I don't think, once a month and is not affordable, but could happen with data support and algorithm. You actually entrain yourself again to put real over right. And that needs humankind to be retrained. And that, I think, is the next complete revolution of coaching and the ele elevation of consciousness. And then I see transformation and tech colliding into this yeah. wonderful explosion of trans tech. There's a lot in what you shared really beautifully uh, articulated, and I'm aware we're coming you know, to the end of our time. So I'll just try and keep this brief so you can respond as well. Um, you know, there's something here about the commoditization of coaching. So like I'm, I'm holding it as an open question. I like your enthusiasm about the coaching becoming uh, user centric. And um, I wonder where there's that kind of tipping point whereby that the well-being of the coach, you know, that they're paid a certain amount and able to operate in a certain way um, is what allows them to deliver a great service to this client, which makes it more user centric that, you know, if suddenly a client, a coach, you know, I've heard some people talk about the McDonaldization of coaching, you know, where suddenly it's like, you know, 20 minutes and then 10 minutes and you've got to work with 50 clients a day and you're getting paid, you know, the fees are going down with that. And, you know, at some point coaches might get burnt out or, 
you know, the quality of the experience diminishes. That 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 being said, I'm very, very interested in how we can like create more of these interaction points uh that, that are still high quality, high caliber. And um, you know, I'm just thinking of like one coach I work with where, you know, I pay him really well, you know, but it, but I do that because then he can um, you know, work with a select number of clients a year and he, you know, I get his full presence and you know, but I, I realize I'm very privileged to be able to do that. That is not democratizing coaching. Um and I and I just so so I'm just kind of responding to a few points you've made and I'll reel them off. Like the other thing is like I'm still inquiring into with tech, like what is the the human what you know, what can we codify here and 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 kind of break? I mean, I'm inspired when I hear you talk about codifying all these kind of the expressions, the micro expressions and the tonality and the the verbal expression of a client, you know. It's kind of scary too, though, yeah, because I could see how that that data could be manipulated potentially. But, um, but what what is the um, the the value of like human consciousness, the consciousness factor? You know, like there's some people I work with where there is just a transmission from them, a potent transmission, and and for me, I've been holding that as being like that's the one thing that AI won't be able to replicate, you know, it will be able to replicate so much, but will it be able to be a transmission of an awakened, you know, or um, mature place that that can really um, serve that client, you know, maybe, and again, maybe here, um, it, you know, this is what the guy who worked for Google, who they took out, you know, who felt like the AI had become sentient. Maybe all that really matters is that you believe it's real. And it doesn't have to actually be real. It's it's really fun talking with you because equally there's so much packed into what you say, and um, I like that we can uh, you know put the puzzle pieces together. The the and there's a mantra. There's a mantra, funny enough, that comes to mind: the uh, Asatoma mantra, Oma Satoma Sadgamaya. It talks about leading from the unreal to the real from death to the eternal and if we jump from there and stay in the east advaita vedanta which i think you're tuned into if you sit with an advaita vedanta teacher their their work with you as a student or a disciple is to help remove the doubt so that you can see clearly. The therapist is really helping you to unveil the true you from this veil of the ego, the illusion of the ego. A teacher who emanates presence, of course, can give you a dose of that. You get a glimpse of it. And equally, you might get a glimpse of that with some kind of psychedelic or plant medicine. But it needs to be worked with. There needs to be this integrative, I guess, the in-between stage, in my opinion. You can have a glimpse. I call this um, the first stage, uh, enlightenment. And, and, I, and I, we see in our studios the popularity of breathwork now, right? And, and the popularity of plant medicine. Enlightenment, you know, it's, you get high on DMT. You get high on altering the carbon dioxide and oxygen balances in your body. It's, it's, you get high, you get expanded, you get out of your head. You know, we used to do it in, as teenagers uh, going to the pub you know, at the weekend. Let's get out of our heads. 
because living in our heads when we've got right over real and we're struggling and longing for something more true, real connection, it doesn't happen. So we just get out of our heads. The next stage I, I call enlightenment, um, it, which is a glimpse. You, you get a glimpse of something more, something beyond the constraints of your ego. You actually start to become the witnessing consciousness that says there's an essence, which is the true version of me. And then every now and again, I go into this ego self, this, this personality. And this personality is based, um, based on my you know past lives, character slash personality, but also my conditioning. And my conditioning is a function of my family, my environment, my society, my friends, right? And that's where therapy comes in to understand you know how ego takes a grip on you but this is the enlightenment you realize there's there's two and if you're looking at these two bits of you then you must be the one right then i look at the third stage which is coming down from the mountaintop coming out of the jungle you've had the experiences how do you put it all together integrating the pieces i call that enrollment be real so i think it's not about democratizing uh, coaching as such. It's about hyper-personalizing. I think it's about integrating the experiences that you're having in between jungle coaching therapy. It's about having, let's call it a daily practice, a micro daily practice, which was thanks to Corona in some regard, people got better at. And I think the data play, it could be scary, Joe, it could, but you and I could also have a real rating. You know, I could be looking at you uh, and my own picture on here, I could have my own real rating. How sincere is Neo being? How empathetic is Neo being right now? And I'd be like, whoa. <laughs> you know, and it could That's be dynamic. A, because the could be for one. It, yeah, and it could be for you too. And actually, we could co-create that. It could mm. be like this sense of agency between coach and client. So that, again, it's not about democratization. It's about removing the separation. Imagine yeah. that in you know, uh, job interviews that you say very openly and with transparency, you say, I'm interviewing you, but I have a realometer. I'm going to, you know, my being realometer, and I'm going to be looking for our key KPIs when we're hiring people, key performance indicators, which is the degree to which you're sincere, the degree to which you can stand next to your inner being, the degree to which you believe what you say and how truthful you are, and the degree to which you can go deep and connect with yourselves. And we call these two measures packaged in being real imagine that in insurance company dating apps imagine that you're going to meet someone that you've met on tinder and before you meet them on the street corner at the local fountain you say let's have a video call and you flip on your realometer you know yeah so i i see actually coaching blurring like breaking the dam and letting the water spill out so that the essence of coaching which is how do we get more real the movement of enrollment that we make that available to anyone and everyone in different contexts where it's necessary because essentially what you want, you want to meet people that you can be yourself with where you do you, I do me, and we be real together. Yeah, brilliantly said. And, you know, I'm aware we've got to finish now. And, you know, I'm, I'm also like, uh, if, we had another, if we had another half an hour, you know, we, so maybe we need a part two. Um, you know, I, I, I sit with like this just – it's just incredible, isn't it? Just, um, you know, the potential for this is incredible and the, the potential for misuse as well, or the, you know, um, some of the ways it might go wrong, you know, is also, we've got to really keep an eye out for that. So, um, yeah, like the wizard of Oz, you know, like the, the last scene, like you're, you're a good man, but you're a bad wizard. I think this, uh, let's call it the, this, what we're talking about needs to be in the right hand, quote unquote, the right hands or, uh, or, 
or let's say it's an open question. I agree with you. I don't know the solution to that right now because who's who's right, who's good, who's bad? It's another big question. Yeah. Well, where, where can we, you know, find out more about MicroShift, your work? You know, let's, I'm sure people are going to be interested to check you out. So, yeah, where can we find LinkedIn, out more about that? LinkedIn is really great. Yeah. Connect, connecting there. Yeah. And what's your, just covers your, like, LinkedIn, what, Neo Morton, yeah? Like I think I so. Let me just check right now <laughs> so I get it right for you. Um, here we go, Neo. There's only one, right? Um, yeah, linked Neo Morton, N E O M O R E T O N. And there you've got access to, you can download or buy my book and follow what I'm up to and watch this space. Great. Thanks, Neo. I really enjoyed this. Thanks, Joel. Awesome to reconnect. And thank you again for your guidance and your listeners. And, um, Together, let's just keep moving forward and getting more real and raising consciousness. Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. Just a, a heads up again. If you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well. And I'll see you again next time. Thank you.